Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com. We normally have McNamaraOnMoney.com working, but last time I tested it, it was giving me errors. So I need to to get that fixed. also in the Merrimack Valley, if you're listening, you can uh, go to McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com and learn all about us. Um, we are chatting this morning about this awesome concept of front-loading um, your retirement and the importance of saving early and trying to get people a little bit motivated to save hard early. And I, I, I like I said, you know, so many times I know that it's idealistic. I know that it's not easy, but um, I'm just trying to give people, I guess, a little bit of a, mo- a motivator here and and. Um, and sort of talk through this awesome thing, awesome phenomenon we had, we have called compounding interest and how that just really, really, really works to your benefit if you can build your portfolio early in life and have a lot of years to take advantage of that compounding of larger dollars before you start drawing out dollars. So um, we're calling this... uh, the early bird gets the reward. Not guaranteed, of course, compliance disclosure for you right there. Um, so we talked through a lot of numbers. I thought they were really cool and powerful. Um, and I guess I'm sort of done with that. We don't need to get, uh, we don't need to do that anymore. But just wanted to talk like about, you know, wh- why you might, why, <sighs> I guess I wanted to talk through why you might consider this. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, obvious, or or uh, maybe it's ridiculous to even talk about that. But I was just thinking, like, you know, if you are able to pull off saving hard early and building a sizable nest egg early in your working years, um, it just it. I like it takes the pressure off later on. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, we all know that, you know, life gets expensive. It gets expensive when you have kids. It gets expensive as you get older and, you know, you're, you're owning property that's getting older. And, and as you get older and medical expenses come up in your life. So, um, I just, I don't know, I guess I just maybe quickly and see if you had anything to add, Kirk, wanted to talk through like, you know, why this is, why, why being able to save early and building that portfolio is, it, it just takes the pressure off later. And I just, just for example, I mean, like, <clears throat> you know, how many, people unfortunately have we known, especially these days that have been um, furloughed for a period of time, laid off, you know, unemployed for a period of time. Unfortunately, this is a 
an exact period of time where that's quite common. But, you know, all throughout our careers, Kirk, we've known people, you know, unexpectedly been laid off for whatever reason or, you know, changed jobs and thought they were going to be able to become employed quickly and haven't. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in many um, in many industries, um, ageism is a thing. And, and I was just talking to a, uh, a client the other day who's in his mid to late fifties and was just kind of like, you know, I'm a late fifties white male. Like if I lose my job and I'm, you know, in my sixties and you know, what are the chances of me getting reemployed? He happened to be, um, like in tech or, uh, in, in sort of computers and stuff like that. And, and, and ageism is a thing and it's, it's, um, so just, so my point is not to depress people, but my point is that, um, if the pressure is off in terms of saving and if there is a period of, of unemployment at some point in your life, but you've already done a great job saving your portfolio. So you're taking a little hiatus from saving and by little, like, you know, a year or two or three or whatever, you know, if it's, if it's that long period of unemployment, um, it just takes the pressure off. Your portfolio is working for you. Like we already talked about. And, and if you're unable to save for a period of time, maybe that's okay. If, if your portfolio is working for you, um, also kids in college, right? Like, you, you know, go ahead. I just, um, you know, we always, you know, we always like love to plug um, the uh, the importance of having uh, an, an emergency reserves, right? You know, having you know cash in the bank uh, that you can get your hands on uh, in a pinch, and this, you know, this is a great example of you know having that cash if you know if you do lose a job, uh, which as you said is is happening a lot uh, these days to folks, uh, unfortunately. Um, and you know if you can't you know if you lose a job and you know then yeah, you probably pretty good chance you you, you know you're gonna lose the ability to add you know to your retirement savings. But if you have cash that you can live off of while you you know, um, find another job, at least hopefully you don't have to tap into your retirement savings, yeah. uh, which is, which would be, you know, a, a big, uh, you know, a, certainly a big negative, um, because you're, you're, you know, you're reducing, you know, that money that that's supposed to be working for you. And so, you know, having that emergency reserves is basically buying, you know, is help is, you know, buying you time to, again, let that money compound and grow, uh, because taking money out of there early, you're, you're, you know, you're reducing that, that, you know, that money that's working for you. Um, and you know, yeah, not, not being able to add to it for, you know, for a year or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. That's not ideal, but that's certainly not as bad as taking money out, uh, you know, of the retirement plan, uh, early. Um, so again, that's just, that's just a plug for having, you know, having, you know, a, a decent amount of, you know, cash in the bank, um, for, you know, for these unknown, you know, situations that inevitably pop up for people, you know, lose a job or, or maybe your income goes down for some reason, you know, maybe if you're in, you know, sales or commissions or whatever, um, you yeah. know, always want to have cash there. And, um, again, I know, I, I know these are always, it's always easier said than done, but you know, these are all, these are all the goals that you should be trying to, to work on and, and hit, um, you know, um, as best you can. Um, there was one other thing I was going to say, but I forget, um, you know, we were going to talk about, and maybe you're going to talk about this later, but, um, you know, talking about growing, you know, growing the portfolio so that you've got, you know, a good chunk at the end, you know, so fast forward to, you know, retirement. And I think maybe you're going to talk about this later, but, you know, if, if you've got, you know, in your scenario earlier, you talked about, well, if you had a million dollars in retirement versus having, you know, five, well, I guess maybe we're talking about retirement, but, you know, but say you are retired and you have a million dollars in your you know portfolio versus 500,000. Well, you know, let's say you take, you know, if you take 5%, you know, say you're allowed to, you know, take 5% out of there. Well, 5% of a million is what, 50,000, right? Yeah. And, versus 500,000, it's 25,000. So that's a pretty significant difference as far as, you know, when you go to, when you're retired and it's time to start taking money out, you need to kind of know what your, what your portfolio is, because that's going to determine how much you can take out of there. Right. And is that going to be enough, um, you know, to live, to, to, to live your life, um, when, when you're not working. And I think that's, that should be, 
to me, that's a good motivator good motiv- to show yeah. people. Yeah. You know, show people, well, if you do this, this is what you're going to have. And, you know, it, it, is that going to be enough to, to, to do what you want to do? Um, Let's talk about, yeah, I, I mean, totally agree. Maybe that's motivation enough. I just was like throwing out some other concepts there. Like, and, and one of them that's sort of top of my mind right now is our girls are getting older and, you know, we're, we're still several years away from college, but this is starting to get real, you know, as, as they, you know, as they get into, you know, middle school and stuff like this, it starts to feel like it's real close. So let's talk about this, this concept of front loading your retirement and saving super hard early in conjunction with uh, having kids that will go to college one day. And if you're intending to help them pay for it, or if you're intending to pay for it. Um, I, again, idealistically, right. Let's talk about our example couple that was 30 years old and they saved real hard for 15 years until they were 45. And then they didn't save anything. Again, I'm not, certainly not recommending that anyone do that, but still the numbers were staggering. But think about that in conjunction with uh, if that couple had two or three kids that they were going to try to get through school during those, you know, post their 15 great years of savings. Okay. So actually let's just use some numbers because this is pretty cool. So in our example, that 30 year old couple made 150 grand and for 15 years, their awesome scenario, their idealistic scenario was they saved 20% of that or 30 grand a year. Um, for retirement. If they had, um, and, and then they positioned themselves real well for retirement. If they had a kid or two or three that was going to be going to college, that timing would sort of line up like 15 or 20 years after they're saving real hard, then they have tuitions to pay. So if they did take a hiatus from retirement, don't forget they're already living on $30,000 less in income in that example. So they have, you know, unless their lifestyle changes, you know, dramatically in that one year, they have that $30,000 that they can afford um, to, to use for college education. So, and in that great example where they front loaded, they didn't have to, uh, they might not have to worry as much or they didn't have to worry about, I'm going to take a break from saving for retirement or I'm going to lower my retirement savings. It's okay. And with the number crunching and again, this is just hypothetical. I'm not telling anyone to stop saving for retirement if you have a sizable portfolio, but um, you know, do some number crunching and maybe it's okay if you lower what you're saving for retirement in favor of, you know, paying cash to get your kids through school. Um, versus having your kids take out, you know, significant loans and then them getting a delayed start and all that stuff. So, so that, that, the front-loading concept really works nicely in conjunction with, I've got some kids that will go to college one day and I need to free up some cash flow to do that. So, um, I, I just think that's pretty awesome. Now we could have, honestly, we could probably spend a whole hour or two, Kirk, talking about the, um, whether or not it makes sense to, uh, you know, fully front load retirement and not save anything for college and then have the cash flow later versus, you know, some sort of a balance. And that's what most people do is some sort of a balance where they're also saving for college in those earlier years. Um, but we could do some, that would actually be kind of interesting to do some number crunching on what scenario, um, what scenario plays out better in terms of if, you know, you have both of those goals, retirement and college, um, and this concept of saving hard for one to have the cash flow for the other or balancing savings for both for a long period of time and having, you know, dollars saved for both goals. I didn't do that. I didn't run that analysis before the show, but that one would be um, really cool. But what I, but what I mean by, you know, I guess the, the point that I want people to take from that is, you know, if you are motivated enough and, uh, you know, financially responsible enough to pump a bunch of money in early, it just opens up these possibilities and it takes the pressure off later. And I think, you know, having freeing up cash for this other, you know, an education goal for your kids, I think is just a great example of that. Um, you know, and I think another good example is 
like is a career change later in life. Like how many clients have you worked with Kirk that, you know, they make great money, but they've got a stressful career. They might, you know, maybe not, nobody's commuting a lot these days, but you know, rewind six to 12 months and, and they had a, you know, a, a really long stressful commute to the city and back. And, you know, how many people have you met that, you know, they, they, they make this great money. They have this great ability to save, but they, they're just dying for a lower stress, you know, something local, like, um, you know, and, and if, and if you are able to save early and save hard, it, it can open up these opportunities for, you know, maybe it's okay for you to earn less money and save less because you've already built this great nest egg and it just takes the pressure, it can take the pressure off in that regard as well. I've just, I've met lots of people over the years that say stuff like that and they might, you know, like their job, but it's really stressful and it's long hours and they're just sort of craving something where they have a better balance in their life. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, you know, a good example of, um, you know, you, you don't know the future and, you know, if you have, if you have a good job and good income, you know, save it while you can, because, you know, you, you just don't know what's going to happen down the road and, and uh, either by your choice or not, uh, you know, as you yeah. were saying, you might, you might want to make a change just because you want to do something else, uh, or you might get forced into a change. You know, you might, you might lose a job or, or, uh, you know, get a reduction in salary and, you know, it's going to be obviously harder to, to save money, uh, if that happens. And so, you know, take, take advantage of, of your, you know, your, your ability to save uh, while, while you can. Yeah. Uh, that unknown, you know, the unknown future. Um, I did some, I just want to like sort of switch gears and, and talk about this also in conjunction with real estate, because I think that these are, you know, I sort of like thinking in my mind about, um, you know, uh, again, this concept of taking a big percentage uh, of your net worth and saving it early. And, you know, people, of course, make all different levels of income and, and, and um, but it, I, I think it's possible that if, I guess I was, what I'm uh, not, I'm very ineloquent with my words at the moment. I was just telling Tim that you have the lovely iced coffee over there, Tim, and somebody made a donkey's run here at the station and they didn't ask me. And I think I'm oh. craving a little bit of caffeine right now, but oh, you've got one in front of you too. I'm in this, I'm in this, I don't know if it's a bad habit, but it's probably a bad habit. I'm in this habit now of I've been getting up really early, like five or 5.30. You probably don't even know what time I get up because you're snoozing away. But I have my coffee so early in the morning now. I have coffee at like 5.30 so that it gets to be nine o'clock and I'm like, you know, dragging another cup of coffee. Anyway, sorry, I'm being very We'll eloquent. try and coordinate a little better next Tim, time. thank you. Get you some caffeine. Yes, thank you. Um, I just started, I started thinking about this um, in conjunction with people owning homes. Because if you, are, you know, uh, the ex <laughs> did I make you feel bad? I didn't mean to make you feel bad. Did you make the coffee run? <laughs> no, but I'll get it next, next, week. next time. Um, so I think what I'm, what I, you know, real estate, you know, the expense of uh, home ownership, uh, mortgage payment, or even rent, you know, rent in some areas of the world. But um, the expense of home ownership is, uh, is obviously, for most people, a quite significant portion of their expenses, right? One of your largest expenses on your budget worksheet, if you have one, or your, your outflows. Uh, whether you track that or not, it probably is. And I... I sort of, sort of started thinking through this concept of like, for, for example, um, Kirk and I have a friend from college. I'm going to use this friend as an example. And he, uh, this, they're a married couple. Um, and they, um, sort of non-traditionally, uh, have been renting a, an apartment for, um, you know, throughout their 30s, like many people, you know, late 20s and 30s, you know, are getting married and having kids and, and buying a home. That's just like the normal course of uh, the American household, right? And you're sort of getting into a house, you're buying a house at, you know, sort of that age. That's like sort of normal. And um, we have this couple that that continued to rent. They did have, they started, they got married, then they had kids and, and they continued to rent. And 
Um, and you know, in their area of the world, real estate is expensive. And I think that's part of it. But what, where I'm going with this, I swear I have a point, is that I started thinking through, okay, someone that saves super hard for retirement, are they sacrificing their ability to purchase a home or get into a home and benefit from real estate appreciation as well? Um, home ownership is not inexpensive, certainly between the mortgage payment and the property taxes and the upkeep. And something's always coming up, right? That costs like everything costs like two to $5,000, right? And, um, but we do have this concept, you know, of, of real estate appreciation too. And, and, um, you know, from any research I've ever done, you know, on average over long periods of time, real estate appreciation has been, I don't know, four or 5% per year. And in many areas of the world greater than that. And I, of course we go through periods where it depreciates too, just like the stock market. But um, I, I just sort of started thinking through like, it, it, I, what I don't want people to take from this conversation is that they should save hard for retirement, but not be able to, uh, you know, get into a home and benefit from that potential real estate appreciation as well. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of assuming that there's a balance there and hoping that people can achieve both of those things because I started crunching some numbers and when you start, um, when you look at amortization tables, again, I'm a total numbers person and you, you can pull up a mortgage amortization table, which shows you, for example, like a 30 year mortgage, you know, starting balance, principal payment, interest payment, ending balance. And you can do that for 360 months. It's kind of fun to look at, I think anyway. And if you, at the beginning of a mortgage, the interest is front loaded. So people pay a lot in interest at the beginning of their mortgage. And then over time, they're paying more principal and less interest. But at the beginning of your mortgage, there's a lot of interest. A large percentage of your payment is, especially on a 30 year mortgage, is interest. So it, it, when you go through an amortization table and you start adding up how much interest people are paying on their mortgage, like in the first 10 or 15 years, it's really a lot of money relative to the size of the mortgage. But if you compare that, with potential real estate appreciation, I think in many cases, especially in a low interest rate environment that we're in right now, it's it's still worth it to be a homeowner. At least it sort of has throughout history based on that like four or 5% uh, real estate appreciation. So um, anyway, we have this friend that were, they were saving real hard and front loading their savings at the sacrifice of not being able to purchase a home. And then homes just get more and more and more expensive over time and you're not building equity. So I just, I think that that's not an ideal scenario. And just real quick, I will give a couple numbers just to illustrate what I'm talking about. But like, for example, I pulled up like a $500,000 house and I assumed that someone took a, uh, put 5%, I'm sorry, 10% down and took a $450,000 mortgage. So I pulled up a 30 year amortization table for a 30 year mortgage and I used three and a half percent. I maybe the rates are a little bit lower now, but I used three and a half percent. In the first 10 years, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot what the total payment was on that. I'm going to be able to have that on my screen real quick. But anyway, in the first 10 years of someone carrying that mortgage, their interest to the bank at three and a half percent per year for 10 years was $141,000. That's what I mean by if you look at these, uh, you know, their mortgage payment was probably, oh, I'm going to do it really quick. Hold on. Um, it was, what did I just say? $450,000. We only have like a minute and a half, but I swear I'm doing this. Their principal and interest payment total payment, mortgage payment is like 2000 bucks, round off 2000 bucks. But again, interest is front loaded. So the, the bulk of your payment is interest toward the beginning and like the first five, 10 years. So your interest to the bank is $140,000 in the first 10 years of carrying that $450,000 mortgage. That's a lot of money. But then when you do a calculation regarding, you know, a piece of real estate appreciation, appreciating, excuse me, at four or 5% per year over that period of time, that is that appreciation at four or five percent is more than that interest. Plus, you pay down, of course, some principal on your mortgage. It was like, I don't know, seventy thousand bucks in that period of time or something. So I just, I guess I want to. I, I started thinking that through my head, uh, thinking through that in my head, and and you know this concept of well, what if they saved real hard and rented, and then they were getting into real estate, you know, and then kind of modeling that. But I, I what I 
don't want people to take is that let's push off home ownership and save real hard, but but then don't forget that that home costs you more and more and more and more every year and you don't have that benefit of real estate appreciation. So, of course, everyone's situation is different. The numbers are always different. Everything, you know, run everything by your own investment professional but um, or financial planner, but... Um, Anyway, I just wanted to let everyone in on where my brain was on that. So hopefully that was helpful. All right. uh, We're just taking a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and we're talking about front-loading your your retirement. uh, And we'll just be right back. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I thought I was joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, but he stepped away from the Zoom for a moment. So hopefully I'm not flying solo for 30 minutes, but um, I can get chatty. So it'll we'll make it work. Um, we're talking this morning about what I think is just such an awesome concept of front-loading your retirement and just trying to motivate people to save early, uh, save hard, save early. Um, uh, when you crunch the numbers, it's 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 much to your benefit and just and pretty awesome. Um, so 781-837-4900, if anybody has questions on this topic, if you're listening on the South Shore this morning, um, <clears throat> excuse me, happy to take this uh, show in any direction either. Happy to go on tangents. I was just saying to Tim, our producer off air, what are we going to talk about? No, I still have some bullet points on my on my uh, outline this morning, but um, I f- but anyway, so uh, we've just been talking about uh, front-loading your retirement. The early bird gets the reward. Just this, you know, build, build your portfolio early so that your portfolio can work for you and it takes the pressure off later. Um, so we, Kirk mentioned uh, a little bit earlier in the show about, you know, I, I, I'm trying to be, I, mean, I am trying to be sensitive to the fact that I know this is idealistic and not easy. Um, Nothing about saving for retirement, quite frankly, is easy. So, uh, but getting, you know, building habits early, I think does make it easier. And that's something that we try to stress when we talk with young people um, and something that, you know, our listeners can can stress with their kids. Um, you know, build these habits early. Start a 401k withdrawal. 401k, 401k. Salary deferral. I'm hearing an echo. No, okay. Uh, as early as possible. So, uh, we, I just want to talk through how to do it. Kirk, you mentioned Roth IRAs earlier in the show. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But I just think I knew that I knew that would get you excited. Oh yeah, I I I we need to do the Roth IRA show at least once a year. I think we did do it this calendar year. So. Uh, uh, stay tuned, 2021, the beauty of the Roth IRA coming to a local radio station near you. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's, I love that show. It's, that's probably my favorite show for sure. Um, I just, I wanted to start, okay. So like, how do you think about this? How, how do you do this? How, how do our listeners, um, you know, if you're already older, not that it's too late, but if you're already older, maybe this is something you talk to your kids about, or, uh, you know, or if you're listening and you're younger, how do you do this? Right. So number one, first of all, I think that we need to rethink the 10% rule. You and I talked about it, touched on it already briefly in the show, but you know, for as long as I can remember, um, and, and my dad's been in the industry a lot longer than I, but as long as he and I can remember this sort of this 10% rule of like, what's a good target, um, uh, savings amount in terms of percentage of my income. Um, generally we talk in percentages when it comes to savings amounts because everyone's life and lifestyle is different. So percentages totally work for savings targets for a long time. It's been about 10%. So if you can tuck 10% per year into a 401k, um, you know, generally for a long time has been considered a good target, but I, I, I like to, I want people to rethink that. I, in the last, you know, it, for my career anyway, have been giving people a target of 10 to 15% because, well, number one, because I do have some concerns about uh, this, I, I do have some concerns about other sources of fixed income in people's futures, that being um, social security. So right now, you know, you know, you and I know retirees, for many people, it's not like, um, Social Security for some people. I mean, it's a significant amount of money. Generally, if you work and you know and and put money in Social Security for thirty-five years, it's you know it's a percentage of your income. But for many people, it's a relatively small percentage. It just depends on lifestyle. But are we having audio issues? Am I doing something wrong? 
Oh, my, my, it's muted. I'm muted on Zoom. Is that what? You're hearing an echo? Oh, no, I'm sorry, people, if you're hearing an echo. That's terrible. Um, I'm sounds on, good to me. I'm on mute. Oh, it sounds good to Kirk, but it's not, it's not good on the air. Well, should we play, um, is it too early to play Christmas music and we'll just call the show today? I mean, we're almost, I mean, I, I lo- I, I'm ready to start. No? Okay. No? All right. <laughs> um, well, pr- soon enough, we'll be ready to be like, you know what? We're having audio issues. Bag it. I'll give you my, my Christmas playlist. Um, all right. Well, uh, do I need to, is there something I can do, Tim? Sorry, Tim's in here and we're... We're trying to figure out why. Completely mute yourself. What if I put on my mask? Will that help? <laughs> <laughs> no. Just, no. Had, well, okay. so while, while you're doing that, I had a, uh, a num. I looked up. Oh. Oh, we fixed it. Okay. <laughs> it was me. It was me. I had the volume up on my computer. Sorry. Go ahead, Kirk. So I just pulled up, you know, I just pulled up um, like the max, the maximum social security benefits um, for people that are filing like now. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and yeah. so it's, uh, you know, for, so for somebody, so for somebody that waits all the way until 70, which is the, you know, that's the, you know, the basically latest. that's the, that's the latest you can file and, and you know, get the biggest benefit. Mm-hmm. So that, so for somebody filing now at 70, it's $3,790. Ah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. So almost, almost $3,800 a month. Um, Let's see. For full retirement age, it's, it's just about three thousand dollars. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's like age sixty-six, roughly. Yeah. Uh, and then sixty-two is the earliest, and it's about twenty. Uh, it says it's twenty-two sixty-five. Twenty-two sixty-five um, is the largest benefit. So that's like somebody that has maxed out their reti- their social security payments. Right. For somebody that's paid, you know, paid in for, yeah. you know, for 35 years and, and made, you know, made, uh, you know, pretty good money uh, over the, over those 35 years. Those are the, those are the biggest, you know, the biggest benefits uh, today. Um, okay. So, so, I mean, so, I mean, so like, you know, so, so for the mid range, you know, for the, so somebody collecting at 66, you know, roughly $36,000 uh, a year, um, you know, from social security. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty pretty big number but you know if you're if you're used to making you know 150,000 like in your example earlier it's not gonna you know it's not gonna cover your your lifestyle uh, so to speak um, which is what which is why we're gonna get into you know what what you need to save uh, to make up to make up the difference right so one of the reasons that for a long time I've sort of adjusted upward that target from 10 percent to 10 to 15% is because I'm not convinced that social security will look the same in 20 or 30 years as it looks now. That That is not a healthy system uh, financially and it's not sustainable in its current state. And I think that probably what will happen is that social security benefits will not go away, but I think that they will be means tested. In other words, people, I don't, you know, looking at uh, someone's assets and income, you know, benefits could be adjusted down for people that have assets and or income over certain thresholds. That's just what I think. I'm just speculating. There's been, you know, whispers of that um, uh, in the, in, on Capitol Hill and they're going to have to address um, that system in the coming years. I want to say like 20, is it 2028 or something? It's starting to be partially underfund, un, uh, not funded enough. So um, that that's like the main reason that I give people a goal of like, you know, maybe even 12 to 15% is a good saving, is a good percentage of your income to tuck away. And that's starting at a young age. If, um, if someone is, 50 and they've said, I haven't saved much for retirement, then your target savings is not going to be 10 to 15% of your income. It's going to be a lot higher than that in order to, to pull off retirement at a normal age. So it's situationally dependent, of course, but, um, but I just think people should rethink that 10% rule. I think it should be higher. I think 15% is a great target. Um, I think 20% is, is a great target. Of course, it's, you know, you have to balance your life and, and everything, but, you know, again, the other reason that I want people to rethink that and adjust upward that uh, the percentage of their income that they should be tucking away starting young in life is is this concept of front loading and, and how much better they'll be uh, midlife uh, versus someone that didn't save very hard early. So um, 
let me let me ask you a question. Um, so for somebody somebody that makes you know a lot of money, let's say, uh, and and maybe you know so ten percent of that maybe is more you know more money than they can put into their four hundred one k, right? So yeah. you know they make considerable money, and but you know ten percent ends up you know going you know maxing out their four hundred one k, but they're not let's say they're not saving ten percent. Uh, or, or 15% because, you know, they can't get any more money into their 401k. What would, you know, what would you suggest that, that they do um, to, to get up to the, you know, the 10% or the 15%? Uh, save it in a different type of account. So, I mean, there's only, there's only, you and I know there's only so much you can do in terms of taking advantage of tax advantage savings. So, you know, 401ks and, and, 403Bs and 457s. Um, these are, you know, the types of plans where you can tuck money away and get a tax deduction. So you get a little tax break in the year or Roth 401Ks, Roth 403Bs are an actual thing, though they're rare. You can tuck money away into Roth uh, accounts and you don't get a tax deduction, but those are awesome later on and all the growth is tax-free when you draw it out in retirement. So there's only so much you can throw, you know, the IRS sets limits on how much people can put in those types of accounts. And, um, you know, if you're talking about a married couple and one's working and one's not working, um, you know, there's only so much you can do for that at home spouse in terms of putting money away into a retirement account for him or her, because if he or she doesn't have a 401k available to him, you know, IRA limits are much lower as you and I know. So there's only so much you can do in terms of taking advantage of, of tax efficient retirement savings. However, there's no limit to how much people can save and invest. I mean, non-qualified or non-retirement accounts, I think are underutilized. I think some people, you know, put, either put their 10% in their retirement plan and, and, or max out their retirement plan. And even if they have more or discretionary cash flow, I, I, they kind of stop. And, and people, I, I just think that, you know, we have these types of accounts. You can, you, there's no limit to how much money you can invest and say an earmark for retirement uh, or for later in life. And uh, these non-qualified accounts, they're just, you know, individually owned. They're not an IRA. It's just an account in your name or an account in your name with your spouse, joint accounts, or some people, you know, do legal work and, and have living trusts and things and you can have trust accounts. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think non-qualified accounts are, are underutilized in terms of people's savings for the future. And, you know, I, I did use the word I referred to retirement accounts as being tax efficient. Deductible retirement accounts are tax efficient in current year, but you know what's tax efficient later on? Non-retirement accounts. So, you know, if you fast forward, like however many years into your retirement, you would love having a non-qualified or a non-retirement account because you can pull money out of there much more tax efficiently later then you can pull out of your 401k, rollover IRA, whatever. So I, I guess I, I caught, I sort of caught myself. Like I, there's a difference between what's tax efficient now. There can be a different, there, I'm sorry, there usually is a difference between what's tax efficient now and what's tax efficient later. Um, so people should not be shy about just investing in accounts outside of retirement, especially if they have surplus cash flow, more money than they know what to do with. Awesome, love it, great problem to have. Uh, open up a, a non-qualified account, that's what it's called. And um, there's no limit to number one, your ability to add money to that. The IRS never caps that. And there's also no restrictions or penalties when you need, want, or need to access that money. It's, it's, your, it's very flexible and accessible. And sometimes accessible can be a bad thing if it's too accessible and it's you know, spent when it should be earmarked for later. But um, I love it when people are like maxing out their retirement plans and, and have more money to save. It's, it's great and it actually kind of does surprise me. If, if, it has surprised me throughout the years about the amount of people that just don't, they didn't like know that was a thing, you know, oh, I can just open up yeah. another account. Oh, what's a non-qualified account? Or maybe the, you don't necessarily need to know the term non-qualified. I just call them non-retirement accounts. It's just an account in your name. Uh, I've talked to people, I've talked to people that, you know, they, they just kind of assume that if they, if they're, if they are maxing out their 401k, that, that they're all set, you know, right. that that's, 
you know, because I'm doing that, then okay, I'll be, I'll be perfect, um, you know, that in retirement. Um, and it's, you know, it's probably, probably a pretty good chance that, that, yeah, you'll, you'll accumulate a good amount of money, but you know, will it, will it, you know, will it suit your particular, you know, needs and, and or lifestyle, uh, based on, you know, based on what, you know, what you're accustomed to and, right. and or what, and or what you need. Right. Um, so, so don't assume that because you're putting in, you know, the maximum that the IRS says you can put in that, that you're going to be hunky dory. Um, so I think you need to, you know, you need to actually do some real projections about what, right. what the number is going to look like down the road. And, and is it truly enough? And I, and I, and I've also, I also feel like I've talked to people that, you know, they feel like if they're, if they're getting the, you know, if they do have an employer match, they feel if, if they're, if they're getting the full match that, that they're all set, that, that they're, they think that they're maxing out their 401k just because they're getting the full match. Oh. And that is, oh. not, not, that is not the same thing. No. Um, um, you know, if, yeah. if you're under, if you're under 50, uh, you know, you can put in $19,500, uh, into your 401k, uh, you know, of your own money. Plus, you know, plus if, if the company puts something in, so that's, that's the, that's the max. Um, right. And if you're over, over 50, you can you know put in some additional funds, you know, roughly 6,000 or 6,500 in addition to that. Yeah. So um, like if you make like, you know, if you're, if you make $500,000 a year, including bonuses and commissions or whatever, um, and you're maxing out one 401k at 19,500, even if you've got like a great 6% match or something in there, you're still saving significantly less than 10% That's like 5%, of yeah. your, yeah. of your gross income. And so, yeah, I mean, sometimes people make great bonuses as a percentage of income and they sort of ignore, you don't always calculate that into how much they should be saving. But yeah, there's, um, you know, and I've even met some people where they, they can't even take full advantage of their 401k because some, uh, so there's, there's all these uh, rules regarding, um, uh, employers that have 401ks. So, so they're tested every year to make sure the plans aren't top heavy. And what that means is they, the, the, the government doesn't want like the executives to be able to put in a whole bunch of money into the 401k and then the worker bees to not be paid enough to even afford to put money in the 401k. So that rule makes, you know, sense it's there for a reason, but there are some people with 401k plans that unfortunately are top heavy. And what happens is they, they, they reduce the amount that people that want to max them out, they get money back at the end of the year because your plan was top heavy and you can't put that much in. And so, and that, that happens. And so, you know, even if, if you unfortunately are working for an employer that has a top heavy 401k plan, um, you might not even be able to put your 19,500 in there. You might be getting a check back at the end of the year saying, sorry, we tested it. You can't put that much in. Here's a check for six grand. And you only were able to save 13,000. Like that's, that's happened to some of my clients and that's, and that stinks. But the point is, you know, yeah, you got a tax deduction and it's not as tax efficient in current year, especially if you're a high income earner, you, you likely want to take your deductions and, and get that money into a deductible account. But there's always other uh, options in terms of where you can save money um, and, and no limit to that. So um, I, I'm where I'm hoping that people will broaden their minds in terms of, uh, uh, you know, how much and where they can save for the future. I wanted to ask you another question. Oh, good. I um, love it. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but um, I don't know if you have kind of a generic rule of thumb for, you know, for people that might, um, might have a pension, um, you know, so they have, you know, they're available, you know, um, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they qualify for a pension, you know, maybe they're a, you know, a teacher or, you know, a state employee or government employee. Um, do you have kind of, you know, so, you know, obviously a pension is a great thing, you know, for people that get them and, yeah. and that probably, that probably covers a lot of your expenses in retirement, but, but in most cases it's not going to cover everything. And I, I didn't know if you have kind of a general rule of thumb for, you know, for what they should be saving in addition, you know, you know, on, yeah. on the side. Um, so if you're talking, it's not going yeah. to be the same, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the 10 to 15% because right. they have the pension. But, but I, I feel like there should be, a, there is a number. I don't know if you have kind of a generic number. Well, it depends on if it's a single person or a married couple. Like if it's a single person and they're a teacher or they're a firefighter and they're putting like, I think both, I think both of those uh, organizations 
contribute 11%, 11% comes out of their check for their pensions. Um, so if they're already tucking 11% away, forced savings, and it's going to fund your pension, um, if it's a single person, I, you know, my general conversation is like, you know, you'll have a great pension likely. And if you work there for the, you know, those 20 or 30 years and, um, but you're going to want to have a chunk of money to fall back on. So I think like 5% is a good target. Like if you can, you know, ha have your 11% whacked out for your pension, put your 30 years in, have a great pension, but you're going to want some money. So I don't know, up uh, four or 5%, I think is probably a good target. If, if we're talking about a married couple, so like, you know, one working professional with a 401k and then one teacher, for example. Um, so I would still have, you know, uh, if we think about the working professional, I would look at his or her income and still do like that 12 to 15% target for, for that person's income. And, and, uh, and then, okay, the 11% will go to the pension. And I, I, so I, so it's different for me for a married couple versus a person, uh, one person of a couple. And then by, by the way, there are some married couples who will both have pensions. Um, and, and I think again, like, I don't know, four or 5% is a good target for savings outside, fairly reasonable, but you're going to want to have some money that's accessible and liquid for stuff that comes up. That's not just like your regular recurring monthly. Right. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Um, I think particularly, you know, more like the, the discretionary spending, you know, like, you know, if you want to do some traveling and retirement. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Some, some fun stuff. You know, that's 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 probably not going to you're probably not going to be able to cover that from your pension. You're going to have to rely on, you know, outside dollars for that uh, in most cases. Yeah. Um, and, and as you said, things just come up. Right. You know, you want to you want to do something to your house, you know, re you know renovate, do something, um, you know, buy something. You know, probably the pension's not going to cover uh, a lot of those those items. Um, so it's yeah, I think I'm going to put together some like uh, some we get this question a lot. Like, how much should I be saving? I think I'm going to have two different like scales or, or two two different levels. Right. So my gen my my general answer for someone who's starting to save early in life, 20s, 30s, my general answer is gonna be, it has been for a long time, 10 to 15%. Shoot for 15% of your gross income. Gross income, by the way. Um, then I'm gonna have the overachievers target. Like, okay, if you wanna be an overachiever, you're gonna be targeting 20 to 25%. And th these overachievers are going to be, you know, I, I, I have some, some young overachiever clients and I say that in a very complimentary way um, because, you know, we've talked about on the show before and, uh, and there's been, you know, lots of, uh, there's lots of reading out there on this topic of millennials and, you know, rethinking retirement, redefining it and all that stuff. But, you know, these overachieving, younger people, great, great savers, they are going to be opening up opportunities for themselves that the people that don't save as hard will not have. In other words, I mean, you know, uh, sabbaticals for periods of time, you know, being out of work for a year or two or three, then going back, redefining retirement, retiring early. I have lots of, um, I have several youngish 30 somethings um, make great money, really good savers. They, they just want to, you know, they want to retire early. They want to retire at 50. How do we do this? What do we do? I just love that motivation. The number crunching is really, really fun. It's just, and it's not that, you know, these people that I meet and they, they make great money and they have a great ability to save and, and you know, maybe they think they want to retire at 50. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to retire at 50, but they're just going to open up opportunities for themselves. Um, and a lot of them will, you know, continue to consult or work part-time or just do something easy or whatever. But like then the pressure is off. That's what I mean by the pressure is off. If you can work real, real hard and be real motivated to save early, um, you know, at that 20 or 25% level, that's, it's not easy to do, but... Um, if you have an opportunity to take advantage of that. Like I've had conversations with some 30-somethings, just for example, recently, um, some 30-somethings about um, the, this particular uh, couple had inherited a, a good chunk of money. And we were having this conversation about, you know, this this is great. This is, this is your great head start. Let's earmark, a, you know, a chunk of this for your retirement and the pressure is off. And then we had these conversations about, okay, well, you know, I'm still putting 
you know, 10 to 15% in my 401k? Like, do I need to do that? You know, and, and um, great question, perfectly legitimate question. This particular person was early 30s. And I said, you know what? If we can stick with that, for another 10 years and you have this chunk of money earmarked for retirement, you know, the, like almost like the world is going to be your oyster, like, you know, just, just get it done, get the savings done and the opportunities that will open up for you later. Uh, and you'll be real happy that you did that. So perfectly legitimate question, but, um, you know, I'm a hard worker. So I'm like, work hard, get it done, you know, and then, and then you'll be happy you did. So, but there's a save, lot of people save, that buy into save, that. You know, again, again, just save while you can, right. Because you just, you just don't yeah. know what the future yeah. Save while you Absolutely. All right. Well, we just have a few minutes left. Um, I, I, I love this topic. I think it's really interesting. Um, and again, we, I try to be sensitive about understanding that, that this is a great concept in, it's a great concept and it's not that easily done for many people, but, um, I certainly think there are people that can do this and it depends on your level of motivation. And of course, you know, your, your level of income and other stuff in your life. But um, the, the purpose of this was just to serve as motivation um, and for, you know, people listening that might have, you know, 20 or 30 something kids to just, you know, maybe maybe pass along some of these uh, ideas to them. And, um, and, and I just, I know that when people work hard early in life and, and save their money, they're just, uh, they'll be of course thankful that they did that later on, absolutely. Um, Two minutes. Okay. Um, little plug for our podcast. So I, I don't often remember to do this, but um, for anyone that uh, doesn't catch our shows on Saturday and Sunday mornings, um, we do take every uh, show and turn it into a podcast. So um, when we, we publish one a week, sometimes two a week when we're overachieving, speaking of overachieving. Um, so if you have a podcast app on your phone, you can just search McNamara on money and our li the live shows that we broadcast on WATD and on WCAP are turned uh, to podcast. So if you miss anything, you can catch us there on your commute. Not that I think fewer and fewer people have commutes these days, but, and that's a great thing, but, um, I know some people still do. So um, you can find out more about us at, at McNamaraOnMoney.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thank you for listening. Joined by my husband and business partner today, Kirk Reed. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. I hope that served as motivation for you. I didn't mean to anger anyone and say, oh, this is such an idealistic concept. It's ridiculous. Certainly wasn't the point. Um, it, it can be done in certain situations, of course. So hope that was motivational. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye.